Thin Air is listener supported. So to start, we need to thank all of our listeners for their feedback, listens, likes, subscriptions, and all of the support you sent our way. It means a lot. Our podcast is independently written, published, and produced. If you like what you hear and you want to help us become full-time podcasters by allowing us to purchase new equipment, rent a private recording space, and fund our research and investigations, please consider making a donation at patreon.com forward slash thin air podcast. Patreon is a website that allows supporters to make donations directly to the artists and creators that they love. You donate a set amount per month, funding artistic projects that matter to you, like our podcast. Our Patreon again is patreon.com forward slash thin air podcast. Donation links are also up on our website on the upper right hand corner at thinairpodcast.com. Now on with the show. Sykes was not the type of person whose disappearance would end up as headline news. She was 38 years old when she went missing in 2005, and in the small town she lived in, she was mostly known for hanging around in bars. Though she was married with two children, the story of her disappearance, at least to the police, was that she was missing because she wanted to be, and that's the story. In our last episode, I told the story of Marie Watson, who went missing after a custody battle. And in Daniel's investigation of the disappearance of Deborah Sykes, I heard a familiar story that she went missing because that's the type of person she was and that her disappearance was her doing, if not her fault entirely because of her lifestyle. In Marie's case, she had been a prostitute and in Deborah's case, a known alcoholic. And in both cases, they had a fair share of run-ins with the law. Maybe it's unfair to say that police did no real investigation, but in both of these stories, it seems true enough that those in our society who are the most marginalized risk having the justice of an honest investigation just taken from them because police assume that whatever happened to them resulted from their bad choices. A prevailing theory at the outset of both of these cases was that they would just show up one day after running from their problems. In Marie's case, it's been 38 years. In Deborah's, it's been just over 11. As time has passed in both of these cases, family members are left in the wake, wondering what happened to the people they love. People who weren't perfect, but who were missed, loved, remembered. In today's story, you'll hear from Deborah's family members, her father and son, who continue the search themselves, in briefcases, in phone calls to detectives, and in telling the story of who Deborah was, keeping her story alive. Here's Daniel. Deborah D. Sykes went missing on February 13, 2005, from Rathdrum, a small city situated in the panhandle of Idaho. Rathdrum is 40 minutes east of Spokane, Washington, and about two and a half hours south of the Idaho-Canada border. 
The city's estimated population around the time of Deborah's disappearance would have been nearly 6,000 people, with 95% of the population being white. I got various accounts of the night that Deborah went missing, but from what I've been able to piece together, the following events occurred. On Friday, February 12th, Deborah went, as she did most nights, to the One Eyes Bar in downtown Rathdrum. It has since closed down, but the bar itself proudly boasted an American flag hanging from its awning. The building is painted a particular shade of light brown that suggests it's doing all it can to not be noticed. According to most reports, it was frequented by a consistent crowd of bikers and locals, which included, of course, Deborah Sykes and her husband, Delbert Sykes, who you'll hear referred to throughout this episode as Del, his nickname. That night, Deborah leaves One Eyes at an unknown time and goes home with an unidentified male friend who, depending on who you're talking to, either lived in a trailer behind the bar or in a trailer somewhere nearby. At some point, late that night or early the next morning, she calls her husband Del to come pick her up. It's not clear why she's there without Del or why she would have contacted him to pick her up. Either way, Dell picks her up from this unknown male's house, and they return home. Then, according to Dell, the next morning, February 13th, he wakes up next to Deborah and leaves her sleeping in their bed as he runs to the grocery store to get ingredients to make salsa. When Dell returns from the grocery store, she's gone. She left behind her wedding ring and took no belongings or luggage with her. That was the last time anyone saw Deborah D. Sykes. My name is Justin Irwin, and that's J-U-S-T-I-N-I-R-W-I-N, and the missing person is my mother. She was definitely somebody that liked to have fun, uh, and it might sound kind of bad to say, but she wasn't somebody that really like put responsibility first all the time. She definitely liked just sort of taking each day as it was. I got to speak with Justin at length about his mother and what it was like being a 15-year-old at the time of her disappearance. When I was 15, I I mean, I used to make model cars and I had this model plane project that I worked on quite a bit. Um, I was pretty average, I guess. I mean, I never really acted out and I never really got in trouble with the law or anything else like that. Uh, I just used to ride my bike around and just, I mean, I couldn't really leave my house a lot all the time, but when I did, I would just hang out with my friends really. I initially discovered this story after Justin posted about it on Reddit. In his post, he talked about his involvement with the Boy Scouts as a teenager. You had mentioned in your Reddit post that um, you were into Boy Scouts around the time. What was it about Boy Scouts that interested you? Well, I mean, I guess I've always kind of liked being outdoors and stuff like that, but it was also... I guess it was two things. One thing, it was the ability to do something else. Uh, than just sit at my house and watch TV or something like that. Every Monday we had a meeting, and that was something that I could always count on going to. Um, And also the social aspect of it, because I'm a pretty sociable person. I like to interact with other people, and it was just, it was fun to go do that with other people. At the time of Deborah's disappearance, she had been married to Del Sykes for a few years. Justin would have had a first-hand account of their relationship both prior to and leading up to his mother's disappearance. And what was their relationship like from your perspective? The only way that I could describe it really maybe is like a 
like a typical bar relationship, you know, like she probably met him at a bar and then they became attracted to each other and hung out a lot and they had common interests and they got married and stuff like that. I mean, they, they did care about each other. There were multiple instances right. where I could see that, but the relationship was strained, I would say, at the same time. Was, what was your relationship with Del like? Um, it wasn't the best. He was, he was always a really difficult person for me to get along with. He was, uh, he was strict in many areas that I would, that I was definitely not strict in myself. Uh, there was always, he was always yelling at me or he was on writing me about something. And there was always a lot of confrontation between us. And I hope I don't make it sound like they were extremely distant and stuff. I mean, they were there, I talked to them. I saw them basically every night and stuff like that, but I was home alone a lot. So what was the atmosphere like at home in the weeks leading up to your mother's disappearance? About two weeks prior to her going missing, she was talking to somebody that lived next to the bar frequently. And as, as far as I know, she ended up staying the night at his house at one point uh, during the last two weeks before she went missing. And did Dell know about that? Yeah, I remember him telling me that he went over to the guy's house when she didn't come home that night or something like that. And he walked in the house and saw them, saw her sleeping in his bed or something. So she stayed the night over there. At that same time, things started to become a lot more hostile, I would say. And the atmosphere was definitely a lot more on edge because at that point I was already used to yelling and screaming and arguing and just a whole bunch of random stuff like that. But those last two weeks, it was even worse. Like there was, the fighting that was going on was a lot worse than I'd ever really seen it before. And it was more frequent, stuff like that. Did you ever see any violence in your home? Um, hmm. I don't, like, I don't remember seeing like him hit her in the face or anything like that or push her down. That may have happened, I mean, I don't really remember a single instance offhand, but, um, I mean, there was a few times where the police were called during the few years that I lived with them, and there was also several times where he would, you know, punch the wall or something like that, something very typical that you see in the movies and stuff. That sort of thing happened quite a lot, and that sort of stuff happened a lot, and then I would say in the more extreme range, there were several times where he would sleep on the couch with like his rifle in his hand, which is very disturbing when you look back on it. I remember when when he would like sleep with his rifle and stuff like that, I remember having like a sort of like knife little thing underneath my pillow in case anything tried to happen. It's, it sounds crazy to say that, but I mean, I definitely did that. The weekend of his mother's disappearance, Justin had left to go camping with the Boy Scouts. He was picked up sometime Friday, February 11th, by some friends. Justin told me his side of the story about the weekend his mother disappeared. On Friday after school is when I went to the camping trip with the Boy Scouts. So after school, I would have ran home real quick and got some things and then left. And we went out to the state park and I was gone the entire weekend until some point in the afternoon on Sunday. And Saturday, I believe, is when she went missing. 
I showed back up at the house and my stepdad was like, oh, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, what? And he said, I went to the grocery store and when I came back, your, mo your mother was missing. I remember thinking like, what the hell? What, is, what do you mean? And he was just explaining to me that she just disappeared and he called the police and everything else. What was that conversation like between you two? It was weird. How did you react when he told you that? I mean, it was certainly unbelievable, I guess. I mean, it like who just goes disappear like who disappears like that? It's very strange. I remember thinking like what how, she's going to show back up or something. Maybe she's at some guy's house. But apparently, obviously she never did, but yeah. So he tells you this story, you think it's weird. You think that maybe she's at somebody else's house. Was there a point when you thought that maybe he could have been responsible for it? Uh, at that time, I don't really remember thinking that he was responsible for it. I remember thinking something definitely felt weird. Um, and not, I'm not just saying that in the sense that I felt that he was capable or guilty of doing that. But, I mean, it was just a very strange situation. I didn't really know what to think. Uh, I mean, up until the... I think it, I lived with him for about two weeks until I ended up moving out. And I don't remember thinking that he, you know, could have murdered my mom or something like that in that two weeks. I felt kind of bad for him. And when he was talking about moving and everything, I just sort of assumed that I was going to be moving with him. And then my grandpa was just like, there's no way you're going to be living with him. You're going to be moving in with me. And at the time, I remember feeling bad for him. But looking back, I am extremely happy that that happened, that he said, please move in with me. You're not moving in with him. My name is William O. Gilchrist, spelling last name G-I-L-C-R-I-S-T, and it's senior, by the way. Uh, my daughter, Deborah D. Sykes, uh, is my uh, uh, daughter, uh, two-blooded daughter, and uh, she uh, was uh, born in uh, one of 30 of 67 and uh, come up missing on uh, 2.13 of 05. I had heard from Justin how he found out about his mother's disappearance, and I wanted to know how Bill, her father, had heard about Deborah's disappearance from Dell. Now, he called me the next morning, I believe it was uh, on a Monday morning, about uh, 6 o'clock, and I was getting ready to go to work or was on the way to work, and he said, uh, Bill, I want to tell you something. Your daughter is missing. And I said, what do you mean, missing? He said, uh, nobody knows where she's at. She disappeared. And uh, I said, uh, have you been to the police department? What have you? Yes, he said, and I made a police report out. Uh, I followed it up on the way home that evening, and uh, he had made a report out on the thing, but he had not made the uh, report out that... Uh, talks about tattoos, scars, uh, uh, different things like that. And uh, I called and asked him why he hadn't filled that out. He said that he didn't know, but he would get it filled out. So uh, about a day or so later, I asked him again 
why he hadn't filled it out because the police department had told me that he did not fill it out. And he said, oh, I just haven't had time, but I'll get down and fill it out. And I said, uh, you got just 24 hours to get it done, Dell." So he uh, uh, waited, and uh, the police department again told me, and I called him, and I said, Dell, if you ain't in this afternoon, I'm coming after you. And he, so he went in and filled that report out. What can you tell me about her relationship with him? Uh, they seemed to get along pretty well at the first, and then... Uh, uh, they did have a uh, domestic uh, violent problem uh, when they lived in Spokane. And uh, in fact, Justin was still uh, uh, there, I believe. And uh, he uh, ended up in a little bit of a problem because he uh, uh, tried to cut, commit suicide and a few other things, and they was fighting uh, quite a bit and what have you. So uh, it, uh, their relationship between them was off and on, uh, real good sometimes, and uh, most of the time I'm going to say it wasn't very well. Dale did take a uh, polygraph at one time and uh, did pass the polygraph, but some of the questions he didn't answer very well. Uh, we're assuming that, uh, uh, that the questions that was asked him was about my daughter and... Uh, they didn't come out very well, so therefore I'd like to give him another polygraph, but uh, he will allow me to take him someplace and do it, but when, if the police gets involved, he said no. Despite the odd and possibly dangerous circumstances of Deborah's disappearance, the police investigation at the time seemed virtually non-existent. Did the police interview you when this happened, when you were 15? No, uh, I never really spoke to a police officer or anybody like that uh, about the disappearance of my mother. The only thing that I've done is give them a swab of DNA so they can cross-reference it if any DNA were to show up or anything like that. But I mean, I, at one point I wrote every single thing down that I could remember in a piece of paper and gave it to my grandpa, but I haven't read that in a long time. It was Justin's grandfather, Bill, who was collecting evidence and having Justin write down his statement, not the Rathdrum Police Department. This lack of investigation might be explained by how the police department viewed both Deborah and Del Sykes around the time of her disappearance. They were both well-known drinkers, they were both involved in a series of domestic violence reports, and to top it all off, a month earlier, that January, Deborah had charges filed against her by the state of Idaho for writing bad checks. As far as local police were concerned, Deborah's disappearance was voluntary and they may have even been relieved. She does a lot of drinking and uh, occasionally uses a few drugs, but uh, she was always uh, decent and what have you. And uh, my daughter had wrote a few checks around and uh, they had bounced and uh, they swore up and down she was hiding because of the checks. And uh, they never did an investigation as far as uh, like at the house, uh, forensic uh, experts, uh, detectives, uh, things like that. And uh, uh, I did uh, two-thirds of the uh, groundwork myself, and uh, they, uh, they said it was foolishness because of the fact that uh, uh, she, uh, she was just hiding. And I knew she wasn't because she hadn't called me or what have you. Because of Deborah's criminal activity, Bill was left as the sole investigator on his daughter's disappearance. Decided to do a complete investigation myself on it. 
but I was a little bit leery of what Dell, the way Dell had approached me about it, and also uh, the things he had told me uh, didn't make sense. So uh, uh, I, I didn't quite believe him, but just I had no evidence or no proof of uh, uh, Dell maybe doing anything. My grandpa, he's done a lot of work as far as investigating goes. I've been with him all around the area, especially a lot more when this sort of happened. I was with him, you know, into Montana, things like that as he investigated. When talked to people, just tried to figure out what was going on. Bill Ray is the one that's handling it now, and uh, he is uh, uh, very sincere and uh, tries to do a good job, but there's no evidence for him to work on. And like I said to him one day, I said, Bill, I want you to understand that I have uh, spent a lot of money and a lot of time trying to find her, and uh, I have, have come to the conclusion she is not hiding, and I knew that to begin with. Also, she is not uh, uh, alive. It's a matter of finding her corpse and uh, finding who did something to her. Bill told me the story of a property 30 minutes north of Rathdrum, where Dell went and stayed for a few days after Deborah's disappearance. One other thing that once she disappeared that he did was uh, out at Blanchard, uh, there, D Debbie and uh, Dell had a friends out there that had five acres of ground, and he was going to build a house or put a mobile home on there. Dell went out there and stayed for two and a half days by himself. And I thought it was very odd. Yeah, that is very odd. Has have, have you ever been able to go out there or have police ever gone out there or? I don't believe the police have. I have made several trips out there. Uh, my son, uh, Daryl and I was out there and uh, did a lot of digging and things that appeared to be like a uh, grave or something, and uh, it was just five acres, and uh, uh, the guy at that time hadn't cleared it, and he said he would have noticed something strange uh, like a, a new grave site or something, but uh, uh, I've been going to take a cadaver dog out and uh, inspect the ground. They have sold the place since then, but I checked with the lady, and uh, she checked with the detective and got back to me and said that I was welcome to bring a cadaver dog out. Uh, I uh, got a call from the people that used to own it at one time, and I got all these notes and stuff in my briefcase, that uh, they had found a bone that Dan was digging with a rototiller to put a garden in and dug up a bone, and he just knew it was a femur bone from a human. Uh, would I please come out? And of course, immediately I went out, and uh, the bone was actually—I thought it was from a cow. And uh, he said, "No, I know it's from a human." So I took it into the detective in the bathroom, and he said, "Bill, I'm going over to uh, an expert in uh, Coeur d'Alene, but he said, "I'll be honest with you, that is an elk bone." So you were mentioning that. Uh, you wanted to bring a cadaver dog out to that site. What's been the hurdle in getting a cadaver dog out there? I guess you could uh, say it's money. I've been going through 
cancer myself and treatment and, and going through a divorce and I really can't afford one because uh, they're very, very expensive. And uh, if I could get somebody to uh, uh, let me make payments or something and uh, take a cadaver dog out there, not myself, but them to bring one. Uh, of course, I'd do it myself too, but uh, I would uh, be glad to uh, show them the property and get permission to go back on it again from the people that own it. Seven years later, Bill still involves himself in his daughter's case, never giving up hope that he'll find the truth about what happened to her. Considering Bill has, perhaps, the most intimate knowledge of this case, I wanted to know what his theory is regarding his daughter's disappearance. I will not accuse anybody without uh, uh, good hardcore evidence, and uh, uh, Dell and I stay uh, kind of friends in a sense, but not really friends. Do I suspect him? Uh, I do not uh, discard it. My daughter's missing, he was married to her, and some of the things that he said doesn't make sense. I mean, it's been pretty crappy, I guess. It's been weird, you know, you see like, all of these families and like all this other stuff and it's just it's weird i can't like imagine having like interactions and stuff like that having like a life like that so i mean it's kind of crappy in that sense but in another sense um now this might sound i don't really mean for this to sound bad but i mean in another sense my mom she's always sort of had a lot of problems going on as in her entire life so um there, I mean, I don't really know what would have happened if she was still alive, but I would imagine there would be a lot of issues. Um, maybe she would have eventually divorced Dell, and like all this other stuff would have turned up. So, I mean, I would have definitely loved to have helped her with all of that, but at the same time, you know, I've never had to deal with that inform or that circumstance. What do you think happened to your mom? Um, I don't know. It's just. You know, I sit here and I think about it and it's just, it's bizarre to me. I mean, a lot of, I mean, a lot of people on Reddit obviously pointed towards my stepdad doing it. And a lot of the facts sort of po point that way also. But I mean, if I found out that she just said, screw this and just disappeared, um, I probably wouldn't be as surprised as you'd imagine. <laughs> So you you just sort of mentioned briefly that it, it wouldn't be totally unfounded for her just to have been, screw this, you know, I'm out of here. Well, I mean, if I found out that that happened, I guess I wouldn't be extremely surprised. But at the same time, I really don't think that happened. Uh, I mean, there's obviously been cases in the past where people have just done that, but my mom didn't really have a lot of resources in order to do that. And I feel like... If somebody were to do that, eventually they would, you know, call their parent and say, I know you've been listening or looking for me for the last 11 years. I'm not dead. I'm alive. And she left her wedding ring behind, didn't she? Yeah. See, that's another thing because she left her wedding ring or her wedding ring was left on the counter. So, I mean, I feel like if somebody didn't have a lot of resources and they were looking to disappear, they would definitely try to take that ring and maybe go to a pawn shop or something. Just try to get as much money as they possibly could for it. 
I talked to your grandfather. He told me sort of about his existing relationship with Dell. Do you still see Dell? Uh, nope. Uh, the last time I saw him is when I was moving out, uh, like actually moving all my stuff into my grandpa's pickup. And when I said bye to him, uh, I sort of gave him like a hug. And uh, that was the very last time I had ever seen him or heard from him. As far as I know, he hasn't really ever cared to inquire how I've been or anything like that. Do you think Dell would have been capable of doing something to your mother? He definitely had the personality of somebody that would snap and do that, like, 100%, I feel like. I mean, if he was drunk or something, which was very common, and uh, he was abusive and everything else, so I definitely think he was capable of doing that. But at the same time, you don't want to get tunnel vision and just assume that he did that. I mean, something else could have happened. I mean, maybe she started walking down the street for a walk and somebody abducted her. I have no idea. And now this is just going to sort of probably show people what, or give people more of a vivid image of this type of person that my stepdad was. But I mean, when we had two dogs at the time and we had them for a few years and he's always yelling and screaming at the dogs for no reason stuff that i would never even care about he was always yelling at them for and uh while while i lived with them uh the male dog that we had he ended up going missing and when i asked him about it they said that he they said that they took him to a farm or something like that i don't remember exactly what it was but i'm pretty sure it was that uh and then when i moved out i found out that he didn't they didn't actually take him to a farm my stepdad actually killed him with a shovel because, I mean, I don't know why he would have done it, probably because he was pissed off at the dog. And like I said, he was always yelling at him. But when I found that out, that was sort of like a, like, that's really messed up. Are you afraid of him? Uh, no, I'm not really afraid of him. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything that he would do to me, but I'm not afraid of him. I mean, would I go to his house alone and knock on his door? No. <laughs> would you ever talk to Dell today if you had the chance? Yeah, I've thought about this a few times. Uh, I, there's nothing that I would ever really want to talk to him about. Um, if I saw him on the street or if my grandpa told me to go talk to him or something, the conversation would be extremely short and I would just be like, did you kill my mother? <laughs> that's all I would say to him because that's all I would care to hear out of his mouth really. I don't like the type of person that he is or anything. I don't care if he has a crappy life or a good life. I just, I just want to know what happened. I think it's just a straight cold case that uh, is is set in a, a file and is set uh, uh, in a file cabinet and uh, uh, stays there until somebody says something and they may bring it out and take a look at things. What would you like to see happen in this case from you know from here on out? Of course, number one, I'd uh, like to solve the case, uh, uh, whether she is alive or uh, deceased, uh, and find out. 
uh, who did something to her, if something had happened to her. And uh, uh, the other thing is I don't want to uh, uh, hurt nobody uh, and uh, point a finger as a suspect when I don't have evidence to do it. So I just kind of go along and hopefully one day in my life uh, that I'll uh, solve the problem and uh, get the answers to it. To this day, Deborah D. Sykes remains missing. Deborah's father, Bill, is currently offering a $10,000 reward for information leading to Deborah Sykes. If you have information, please contact the Rathdrum Police Department or visit our website, www.thinairpodcast.com, for further contact information. I also want to thank both Bill and Justin for sharing their story with us this week. Jordan returns in two weeks with a follow-up to the Marie Watson case, including an interview with Marie's daughter. Stay tuned to the end of our podcast for a preview of our next episode. But first... For more information, including links to Justin's Reddit post, photos of Deborah, and to get more involved with this story and our podcast, check out our website at thinairpodcast.com. We are so proud to announce that we now have original music composed exclusively for our podcast, including a new theme song that we're so excited to share with you. Mixing, mastering, and original music for this episode came from our friends at Conifer Audio. If you're interested in original compositions or other audio services for your own podcast, drop them a line at coniferaudio at gmail.com. To support our podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash thin air podcast. On Twitter, one of our followers wrote, you guys should advertise your podcast more. It's really good storytelling. To do this, we need your help. First and foremost, if you're an iTunes subscriber, please rate and review us. This helps our podcast to climb the charts and get noticed. Also, as an independent podcast, we need all of the shares, likes, and recommendations you can make. There are so many of you doing this already, and that has really helped our podcast get off the ground. Next time on Thin Air. I honestly think that people didn't really genuinely realize the depth of what was happening. You know, it's because we just don't want to believe it. You know, none of us want to believe these kind of horrific, monstrous things are happening. Mm-hmm.